following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. They'll know you've arrived when you drive up in the 1958 Edsel, the car that's truly new from nameplate to taillights. And now your host, Walt Disney. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to that tip-top terrific and splendidly prolific waltz down memory lane, the Mid-Modcast. And here are your Mid-Modcasters, Craig, Paula, and Dave. Hey, thank you, Alan Marsh. Welcome to the Mid-Modcast, where all your Mid-Mod dreams come to life. It is amazing. It's magical. I'm Craig. Who are you people? I am Paula. And I'm Dave. Dave! Ah, <laughs> uh, he said it just like a regular guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we recently lost one of the loves of my life. Oh. One of many. <laughs> the many loves of Craig. It's like Dobie Gillis. Dobie Gillis, yes. Me. Don Wells, Miss Marianne herself, has left the building, as it were. COVID got her. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail, or at least Paula will. But we're going to discuss one of my favorite shows of all time, <laughs> Gilligan's Island. So I'm excited about that. Paula, if people wanted to find us on the internet or call our hotline or email us or whatever, what would they do? Where would they go? Uh, Facebook at the Mid-Modcast. Um, you could go to Twitter, the Mid-Modcast. Instagram, the Mid-Modcast. We have a website, Mid-Modcast. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Dot com. Yes, com. and call us with your favorite, most beautiful, cherished mid-mod memories at 216-309-2204. That's 216-309-2204, and that's enough for me. Your Whoops, memories of no. watching Gilligan's Island after you rush home from school. Oh, like yes. oh yeah, to, yeah. yeah. I, have a, I have a great story. I have a brother-in-law who ended up quitting guitar lessons because he was missing Gilligan's Island after school. Oh. <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> No, I, I always loved it, and you're right, Dave. You'd, you'd come home after school, you'd lay on the floor in front of the TV. It's something that now would just wreck my neck. I, I don't know, but, oh, right. yeah, but you lay on your stomach. You lay on your, your stomach, up. right? And, and you watch your, your chin, your arm shelf, your arm Gilligan's shelf. Island, yeah. and you would you would uh, wonder the perennial question. Just sit right back, and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Mary or ginger ale? <laughs> I mean, Mary, Mary Ann or ginger? Mary gin, ginger ale. <laughs> Did you drink? I'm having my usual guava juice. Apparently, it fermented. I'm not sure. <laughs> ginger Ann. Yeah, there's a new one. Ginger Ann. Uh, ginger Mary Ann yeah. or ginger. ginger? That's the age-old question. I have a few things so, to say about Dave, that. Dave, I, I think you and I have had this discussion in the past. Where do you go on this on this discussion? Mary Ann or ginger? You know, I'd have to go with. Marianne, because she's more of a, you know, like real down to earth woman. And Kansas. I, I don't know. Ginger is a little too Hollywood for me, I guess. But yeah. Paul, that Midwest answer, Dave. Right. That's the yeah. Missouri answer. Yeah. The Missouri. The girl is next door. Kansas. <laughs> so, yeah. Paula, what's my answer to this? Do you know? Um, usually is a, why, why can't it be a both and? That's right. That's his answer either to or most questions, questions. Either or questions are really bad usually. He likes so the both I and. I go with both and. So. Yeah. so, Paula, should we ask you, would you go for the skipper, Gilligan, oh. or the professor? <laughs> and, uh, or Mr. Hell? Oh, Mr. Hal. Mr. Hal. Yeah. Yes, because I'm right. at the, I'm older now. As a child, that didn't appeal, but I'm an older and I would definitely go with the retired millionaire. Go go for definitely. the bucks. Go for the bucks. Right. Yeah. 
financial no, I, security. Know, maybe yes. I'd go for Mr. Howe too then. Yeah, <laughs> or Mrs. Howe. Mrs. Howe would be better, I think, for yeah. me. But still, yeah, I, I understand the uh, the finances involved there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back around 1964, Sherwood Schwartz had an idea for a sitcom set on a desert island. island featuring characters. And and this is what's really kind of cool. He had an idea to kind of do this microcosm of the universe kind of thing, you know, where he had a middle-class guy, a millionaire, an intellectual, a movie star, Midwest girl, and of course, the comic relief, the incompetent Gilligan. And he came up with this idea and he was repeatedly shot down. The network brass just couldn't wrap their heads around it. How could you sustain an ongoing sitcom with seven people (laughs) stuck on a desert island? I mean, maybe you get three episodes and then it's, it's just boring after that. They're just stuck. And, you know, how do you do this? So he went back to work. And he came back with more than a season's worth of ideas of plots and whatnot. And it impressed the studio brass enough for them to greenlight a pilot, which was not very good. You can watch it. I think on YouTube, we you can watch it. The Lost Pilot. It really didn't do so well with the brass. They didn't like it very much, but then they showed it to the public and the public loved it. So <laughs> so they they ended up getting uh, option for more episodes. The, the problem is they didn't like some of the characters. They had Bunny, who was a secretary, and she didn't go over very well. The guy that they had cast as the professor, who was a high school teacher, he didn't go over so well. And of course, um, Ginger was also a secretary at that time. So they had to rewrite her and also find a new starlet for that. Secretary and isn't funny. Anymore, no, secretaries like, are not as, not as funny. And it's I not as know. diverse. I mean, you throw in a movie star and a Midwest girl, it's a lot yeah. more diversity there. And just to clarify for people who don't know, the the secretary named Ginger was not played by Tina Louise. No, that's right. Right. Yeah. Very different yeah. Ginger. Yeah, they, they had to recast it. Finding the skipper was, was a problem until Alan Hale was drafted for a screen test. Sherwood Schwartz was in a restaurant with a couple other guys, and they were talking about, oh, you know, what, what kind of character do we want here? We want... We want someone who's big and powerful and yet lovable at the same time. And at another table was this jolly loudmouth who happened to be Alan Hale Jr. And uh, he's like, that's the kind of guy we need for a skipper right there. You know, he's he lovable. Perfect. Yeah. He's, he's jolly, but he's also Sweet. a big, tough guy at the same time. So they wanted to get Alan Hale drafted as a skipper, but he was stuck doing a Western in Utah. And I'll get into that a little bit more in just a minute, how <laughs> he went through all sorts of stuff to get there for the screen test. Anyhow, finally, they had the basic cast for the uh, for the pilot before they recast all these other things. They flew them to Hawaii to film. I'm sure you'll have a story about Mrs. Howell going to Hawaii to film this, Dave. Uh, but anyway, as they were there, they were forced to take a break during their filming because of the death of JFK. Filming was taking place at a Navy base in Hawaii, and the base shut down for 48 hours. And you'll see it in the pilot's opening credits where there's a flag at half staff and it's because of jfk so if if you watch the pilot watch for the half staff flag ginger and bunny and the high school teacher were written in and they as i said they didn't do too well and there was a shift after this the professor was played by russell johnson uh he didn't want the role at first but Schwartz Smooth talked him into the role, and we'll talk a little bit more about The Professor. Tina Louise was cast as Ginger, but she was doing Broadway at the time with Carol Burnett, and she seemed to embody the role, but she didn't really seem to get it very much. The show's premiere, as I said, was panned by the critics. The CBS execs hated it. Uh, not not the uh, pilot, but the premiere. But the viewing audience loved it, and the, rating, the ratings could not be denied. They were picked up for 23 more episodes. The cast really grew together as a unit. They were cast to be a family on the desert island, and they became a family on stage as well. They they really fell in love with each other. And the public fell in love with the show so much that they sometimes lost grip with the fact that it was just a TV show. People writing <laughs> letters to the Navy and the Coast Guard pleading with them to continue the search. <laughs> You gotta help oh those people. Those poor people. They're stuck on the island. You gotta help them. Marianne got the most fan mail. 
Uh, many of them were love letters with marriage proposals, whereas Ginger got uh, more lascivious sorts yeah. of letters. Kind of naughty. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, of course, we're stuck with that age-old question of Ginger or Marianne. The professor's names you may or may not know. Uh, the professor's oh. real name was Roy Hinckley. The character's name. The Skipper's was Jonas Grumby. That comes up, I think, two or three times throughout the series. Gilligan. We never, ever hear his name, but Sherwood Schwartz wrote, in case we need to use his name, Gilligan is not his first name. It's his last name, and his first name is Willie. Willie Gilligan. Really? Uh, That's what Schwartz says, but Bob Denver disagrees. (laughs) Bob Denver thought that that was Gilligan's first, first name. name. So yeah. the but, controversy so. continues to yes. our day. It's it's interesting that when Sherwood Schwartz was looking for a name, he was trying to figure out what island is this? What island is this? And so he turned to the white pages and he started thumbing through <laughs> and he's like, Abernathy Island? No, that's not funny. Uh, Bates Island? No, that's not funny. You know, he goes through all of it and finally gets to the G's and he gets to Gilligan and he's like, Oh, wait, that's kind of a funny name. (laughs) I like that. So it became Gilligan's Island. It ended up running for 98 episodes. All 36 episodes of the first season were filmed in black and white and were later colorized for syndication. That's kind of something that... I watched watched it in black and white, though, as a kid. Yeah, we did, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and one of my favorite episodes was from season one. It was uh, Wrong Way... (laughs) I can't think of his last name, like... Thoroughgood or something like that. But I remembered it being in color, but it was actually in black and white. So uh, maybe I did see the colorized version. I don't know. The show received solid ratings uh, during its original run and then grew in popularity in the decades to follow in the reruns in the 70s and 80s when we would run home to watch Gilligan's Island. kind of got that success. It was our generation. And uh, so many markets ran the show late in the afternoon. And today... The title character of Gilligan is widely recognized as an American cultural icon. Yes. The show has been translated into 30 languages and aired around the world. And Marianne has a very interesting story about Off the Beaten Path. Are you going to talk about that? No. Don Wells was uh, on a desert island. It wasn't Samoa. It was... uh, Something like mm, that. I'm I'm trying to remember. area? Yeah, it it was one of those... You know, there's no electricity, no running water or anything else. She meets the chief. The chief is very gracious. And the chief's wife comes out and she's just starstruck. It's Marianne. It's Marianne's (laughs) here. And Don Wells is like, oh, my gosh, how, you know, these people don't have electricity. How? Turns out the chief's wife was a nursing student on one of the main islands and she would watch Gilligan's Island all the time. So. That's awesome. (laughs) So you can't get away from it. 30 languages around the world. The show's popularity remained so strong that people always wondered what happened to the castaways. We need a closure. And so in 1978, a television film, Rescue from Gilligan's Island, the castaways are successfully able to leave the island, but they have difficulty reintegrating into society. And during a reunion cruise on the first Christmas after the rescue, Fate intervenes, and they find themselves wrecked on that same desert island all over again. Yes. Uh, Tina Louise didn't want to be in this because she was pretty convinced that Gilligan's Island kept her from being a huge star. Uh, So they had to recast her. Uh, Judith Baldwin played her role. The plot involved uh, Soviet agents seeking a memory disk from a spy satellite that landed on the island. And uh, facilitated the rescue. Were there Harlem Globetrotters there? Well, that's a different one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, a 1979 sequel, The Castaways on Gilligan's Island, they're rescued once again, and the house convert the island into a gate, gateway resort with the other five castaways as silent partners. And Ginger was again played by Judith Baldwin on this one. And then yet another sequel, 1981. The Harlem Globetrotters okay. on Gilligan's Island. Villains are played by Martin Landau and his then-wife, Barbara Ooh. Bain. They try to take over the island to gain access to the vein of... Sup- I can't even say it. Supreum. Uh, yeah. S-U-P-R-E-M-I-U-M. Supremium. Supremium. There you go. Yeah. It sounds like aluminum. I didn't see that one on the periodical chart, but anyway... 
uh, valuable but volatile fictional, fictional uh, element. And this time, Ginger was played by Constance Forslin, or oh, as I yeah, would say, Constance. Ginger Ann, right? Uh, <laughs> they were thwarted, thwarted this time oh. by the timely intervention of... The Harlem Globetrotters. The Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Because who else would rescue you but the Harlem Globetrotters, I can't whistle. right? I really want to whistle that Please theme right now. That. Sorry. You're, you're, you're not helping. Sweet that's, that's Georgia fine. Brown. Oh, no. Uh, Jim Backus was in, in poor health at this time, and he was written out of the script. Uh, they said Thurston Howell III was tending to Howell Industries back on the mainland. David Ruprecht played the role of his son, Thurston Howell IV, which would be an awesome role, wouldn't it? Uh, who was asked to manage the resort. However, Bacchus insisted on keeping continuity and made a cameo appearance at the end of Aww. the film. In 2008, Sherwood Schwartz stated that he would like a modern-day movie adaptation of Gilligan's Island. <gasps> oh. And he envisioned for the role of Ginger. Does anyone know? A famous redhead? No. No. Okay. Beyonce. No. Oh. Beyonce. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> She'd be gorgeous. As yeah. Usual. yeah. So you anyway, know, it's, it's there's so a funny. Bit. You yeah. mentioned uh, a, a movie relaunch, Craig, because man, Sherwood Schwartz has managed to milk two of his creations, yes. uh, Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch, like forever. I mean, throughout his entire lifetime, he's resurrected those shows or Oh, Someone yeah. has Some, had the idea to resurrect the show. It's, so. it's almost yes. like our world has been, our, our, our culture. whole culture has been formed by Sherwood Schwartz. Brady <laughs> Bunch and Gilligan's Island, at least mine has, yeah. One of the tragic things of this is that um, Gilligan's Island was canceled because uh, one of the big network brass wives didn't like it and wanted Gunsmoke to come back. And oh. so after three seasons just out of the blue it was canceled so they didn't get to say farewell or anything just poof we're done did gun smoke come back after yeah, being apparently gone? gun smoke came back for a time mm. uh she loved gun smoke and so gilligan's island was just they they had already written season four and oh. they, they thought that they were coming back for season four and all of a sudden canceled the stars of the show didn't have very good contracts as far as ongoing syndication and reruns residual and all that. Stuff. So they, oh. they got very little in the way of residuals, which is really tragic. Yes, because yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't have good negotiation back then, I would guess. All right, little buddy. Okay, we got to talk about the little buddy first because this is his show. This is his island, right? The Gilligan's Island. And we have Bob Denver. And actually, Craig and I watched uh, Surviving Gilligan's Island on YouTube. So if you want to find out a little bit about it, you can look on YouTube for Surviving Gilligan's Island. It's produced and maybe even written by Don Wells. And it has it's kind of a hokey acting, but some narration and so it's a kind of a mix of the, drama. the first four or five minutes is a little painful but yes. power through you'll enjoy it's, it yeah it's very fun anyway uh gilligan of course uh first name willie that just sounds weird willie gilligan was played by bob denver um affectionately known as the little buddy by the skipper um he went to college at loyola and acted with Dwayne hickman and who's Dwayne hickman dobie gillis dobie gillis he was friends with dobie gillis um from the many loves of dobie gillis Dwayne hickman and after he graduated from loyola he actually was an elementary a catholic school elementary teacher so that that just kind of trips me out he taught oh, math yeah. and history and wow. he was he coached p.e in Pacific Palisades first. But uh, his t his sister was a secretary, and she was a secretary for the TV show The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. So as a favor to his sister, he said, okay, I'm going to go audition for this, this show. And he just kind of did it just to get sister off his back, and he got the part. So he auditioned for the beatnik Maynard G. Krebs. And as he was and he got the part after filming the first three episodes, he got a draft notice, though. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And he was actually briefly written out of the script after four episodes and he was actually replaced. But then he was designated 4F due to an old neck injury 
and he returned after missing just one episode. Now, let, let me, because I am a big Dobie Gillis fan. <laughs> yes, and I am Maynard not. Maynard G. Krebs actually gets drafted into the Army also oh. on the show, oh. so I'm not sure if it co coincides with that or not. Oh. I but bet. But he ends up being uh, given an honorable discharge because he's too annoying to be in the Army. So, <laughs> so I bet that that might very well be it, huh, huh? Um, and then after he Dobie, he was done with Dobie Gillis, uh, he got the the shot for um, Gilligan's Island, and he started making a lot of one episode guest appearances, like on Andy Griffith, the Danny Thomas show, and more, <laughs> because they wanted his face more well known before Gilligan's Island premiered. I don't know. I I would have thought everybody watched Dobie Gillis, so they. But maybe it was, you know, a couple years and got his face out there. And um, he also, I think this is kind of interesting. Bob Denver, not only, you know, did he do a lot of these Gilligan's Island returns, too, as Craig mentioned. He also did some um, returns to Dobie Gillis specials as well. Like four years mm. later, you know, in the 70s, there were some some Dobie Gillis specials as well. So I, I think that's kind of amazing. He actually got on two little gravy trains, two very popular um, shows. Um, and after the show ended, he did multiple episodes of Love American Style, great show, Love Boat and Fantasy Island frequent guest appearances and we were just speaking about that before the show how we don't really have anything for the the old has-been actors like we did in the 70s right. those are great shows if you want to see some of your old we, stars we have dancing with the stars dancing with the stars <laughs> that's, that's we do it. have quite go. a few yeah. of those yes and after uh, gilligan's island he also was on broad broadway playing uh woody and willie woody allen's um played again sam hmm. and i can kind hmm. of see that he's got that awkwardness uh a little Woody Allen in him. And um, later on in life, he was a radio personality in his hometown of Princeton, West Virginia. And he and his wife, Dreama, owned and, owned and ran a small oldies, one of those oldies format radio stations. I thought that was kind of cute. We have one of those Ooh. out here in Cleveland, too. Um, he made lots and lots of public appearances as Gilligan after the show. Did a lot of Make-A-Wish Foundation appearances, too. He was the one, actually, who, just an interesting tidbit, he was the one who pushed for that professor and Marianne instead of and the rest hmm. in mm -hmm. the in the um, opening song. Yeah. And so he said, no, you have to do this. He, so. he just seemed like a real solid guy who wanted oh, to make yeah. sure that the whole cast was really taken care of and everything. Mm -hmm. He's pretty cool. So, and, and I'm not sure if this is true, but I did read this in a couple little articles. Um, he was actually arrested for marijuana a couple times. And I do kind of remember that I from my too. childhood. Yeah. But I didn't hear that the second time he told them that it was from a mail order um, <laughs> marijuana came to his house. He said it was from Don like, Wells. So oh, what? <laughs> I don't know. He what said Don Wells sent it to the him. Bus there, Gilligan. <laughs> I know. I don't know if Marianne was the supplier of it or not. But then in court, he actually refused to say who well, mailed it, it to him. If you got to go to prison, you may as well go with Marianne. Uh, That's good point. <laughs> yes. And as I as I kind of mentioned, um, we already mentioned his first name is Willie, Willie, Willie Gilligan. Gilligan. So there's just a couple tidbits about Gilligan. And and uh, anyway, who is, uh, what did Gilligan call Skipper? Skipper. You just Skipper. called him Skipper. Yeah. All right. So the Skipper... His name, as I think I mentioned before, is Jonas Grumpy, of course, fictional character, played by Alan Hale. The Skipper's name was hardly ever mentioned, as I think I said that already. Anyway, he's the captain and the owner of the SS Minnow, and they took a little three-hour tour. Oh, he as owned it. He took many three-hour tours before this, as people would come to Hawaii. His first mate is Gilligan, of course, portrayed by Bob Denver, who is marvelous. Their tourist passengers were caught in a violent storm and stranded on a desert island. We know the story well. And he often acts in his legal role, role as the group's leader because he's the skipper. And uh, he has a little bit of a collegial democratic bent to it. So, you know, he's not the dictator. He's, he's just kind yes. of the, the leader, I guess. Um, anyway, he routinely gives orders to Gilligan, who obeys him without any question. <laughs> 
in the times of crisis, the skipper tends to defer to the more level-headed and highly educated passenger, Professor Roy Hinckley, who we'll talk about in a little bit also, portrayed by Russell Johnson. He's sort of a, song, a strong man uh, who has succumbed to a lack of exercise. In one episode, he talks about how he played football, and he said, I was the line. And they said, uh, well, which part in the line you know, which which position did you play? And he's no, I was the line. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he has gotten a little out of out of shape. He's also the most superstitious castaway, as of course sailors are tend to be. So sometimes this would put him in conflict with the professor's rationalism. The skipper is lovable, but easily irritated, especially by the clumsiness of his little buddy Gilligan. Despite this, they are very good friends. And a running gag is whenever Gilligan messes up a rescue, the skipper conks Gilligan on the head with his hat, a variation of the gag that whenever Gilligan's in a tree as a lookout, he falls down and usually lands on the skipper. So there's a little yes. bit of <laughs> equality there. Uh, so anyway, um, when Gilligan does something right, uh, he or correctly uh, predicts an outcome. The skipper is about to con Gilligan, and then he restrains himself due to the fact that Gilligan was right. Their dynamic of their relationship at times resembles that of Laurel and Hardy, and that's kind of what Sherwood yeah. Schwartz was looking for, was that whole kind of dynamic between the two. Uh, so bef before the producers hired Alan Hale Jr., Carol O'Connor was considered for the role, oh, but yeah. Alan Hale came along and of course he was perfect for the role because well <clears throat> carol o'connor is just kind of mean he, he's more of the archie bunker he is kind perfect of, for archie bunker ah, geez gilligan would you shut up I <laughs> yes uh in 2003 the book gilligan's wake tom carson wrote it writes a backstory that the skipper served with jfk on pt 109 and also Quentin McHale of McHale's Navy. Little was ever learned about the skipper's past <laughs> oh, wow. in the show. Several episodes mentions variously having several ships blown out from under him and his veteran status implying that he had served in World War II. Two episodes indicate that Skipper was a veteran of the Battle of Guadalcanal as he relived an experience from the battle where he turned a radio into a transmitter <laughs> and they were trying to get him to go back into that dream so that he could turn their radio into a transmitter. Matter. Oh. In one episode, he got amnesia and thinks he's on a covert mission behind enemy lines, mistaking others for Japanese soldiers, oh, including yeah. Ginger, whom he mistakenly believes to be a ventriloquist. I don't know <laughs> what that was all about. I do remember that. Uh, he also claimed to be the CEO of the 177th Infantry Regiment. So apparently he goes between Army and Navy. This is a little confusing. Uh, but... Whether that actually happened or it was just a wish-fulfilling fantasy is open to debate. Later on in the series, he says that he was simply a cook. And in one episode, he claimed to have been a Navy bandmaster. And another, he claims to have been the best poker player in the Navy. So the skipper is an enigma wrapped in a riddle, I guess. <laughs> Alan Hale no. Jr., who, who played the role, was an American actor and restaurateur. He was the son of character actor Alan Hale Sr. That was not their actual last name. I think I had it written here somewhere, but I've lost it. He was best known for his co-starring role as Jonas Grumby, the skipper in 1960's Gilligan's Island. He also appeared in several talk and variety shows. Hale appeared in more than 200 films wow. and television roles with 209 credits uh, credits on IMDb. Wow. He premiered primarily in Westerns, <clears throat> performing with Kurt Douglas in Big Trees, Audie Murphy in Destry, Roy, uh, Ray Milland in Milan, rather, in uh, Man Alone, Robert Wagner, or as they would say in Germany, Wagner, uh, <laughs> The True Story of Jesse James, Hugh Marlowe, The Long Rope, and he was a sheriff in the giant spider invasion, 1975. He also appeared in musical comedies opposite Dan DeFore. And uh, in It Happened on Fifth Avenue, James Cagney, West Point Story. The list goes on and on and on. He, he achieved con continuing success on CBS with Gilligan's Island. He played the skipper, of course. And he kept reprising this role in all of the spinoffs as uh, also in the cartoon series. Uh, in addition to acting, Hale co-owned 
Alan Hale's Lobster Barrel, a restaurant yes. he opened in the mid-1970s. Uh, it was on La Cienega Boulevard yes. in Los Angeles's Restaurant Row. And according to Hale's agent, Hale was phased out of the business in 1982. He later opened Alan Hale's Alan Hale's Quality and Leisure Travel Office. So he went into the travel industry. <laughs> Alan Hale died uh, January 2nd, 1990 of thymus cancer in Los Angeles at the age of 68. His body was cremated. His ashes were sprinkled on the Pacific Ocean. He really did love the ocean in real life. Okay. Uh, his Gilligan's Island co-star Don Wells was in attendance representing the surviving members of the cast and a whole bunch of media helicopters that wouldn't leave them alone. Uh, for his contribution to the television industry, Alan Hale Jr. has a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame located at 6653 Hollywood Boulevard. So next time we're home, we need to go visit Alan Hale's star. Yeah, I wish we they still had, um, uh, what was it called, Alan Hale's Lobster Barrel? Yeah. Yeah, because he would actually wear have his skipper hat, and he would greet all of the customers at the door. So I'm like, oh, I wish that place were still around. Because hey, yeah, I was going to jump in earlier. Yeah, I was going to jump in earlier and ask if that were really a thing, um, or if yes. it was just an urban legend that he ran a restaurant no. where he uh, yeah, appeared was... in his skipper garb. No, he it was on La Cienega, wasn't it? Yeah, on, yeah. on La Cienega. Yeah, so you guys know it. Wow. Well, I just have we read know about La Cienega. <laughs> I've read about it. I never. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that most of the characters from Gilligan's Island were they got typecast because of Gilligan's Island. They were trying to live it down. Alan Hale just embraced it. He's he's like, well, why fight it? So he. He wore the skipper's hat, and he'd often give them away to kids and that sort of thing, his old hats, awesome. and, you know, Make-A-Wish Foundation and all that place. kind of stuff. So yeah. anyway, uh, I just, you know, I've really come to really love Alan Hale Jr., learning more about him and everything. Just such a, a really great guy in so many ways. And Sweet. I didn't know that he had so many acting credits under his belt also. There's a really great um, podcast, The Dirty Jobs Has the Way— the way I heard it, and he has a really good one about Alan Hale's audition to. Yeah, I, I shouldn't, but that's always Mike a Rowe. mystery. Yeah. But he talks about him getting on his horse, and yeah, it's a great episode. Yeah, so I don't know if I explained that very well, but he had that audition lined up, but the directors of the western that he was working right. on wouldn't let him go, and so he and a buddy stole horses. They rode the horses to the main road. Alan Hale, he, they're in Utah. Alan Hale thumbs a ride to Las Vegas, gets on a plane in Las Vegas, flies to Los Angeles for the audition for the screen test, and he shows up wearing his cowboy garb yes. to, to play the part of the skipper. But the chemistry between him and Gilligan was just undeniable. They just, uh, he and Bob Denver just clicked like no tomorrow. So they right. said, yeah, that's that was that was the right choice for the casting on this. Well, the castaways who I will be discussing today are none other than the Howells. Uh, Mr. Howell, or Thurston Howell III, is, of course, the millionaire Paula mentioned in the show's theme song. His supposed background is, is that he is a resident of Newport, Rhode Island, uh, a graduate of Harvard Hey, University. I used to play rugby in Newport, Rhode Island. Little, little known, yeah. When I lived in Connecticut, I'd drive up Craig, to Newport. Craig, what haven't you done, dude? You played rugby. Wow. I haven't been in outer space yet. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yet. So he's a supposed resident of Newport, Rhode Island, a graduate of Harvard University, and a Republican. I thought it was interesting that Wikipedia or wherever I found this threw that in there. <laughs> in addition, you guys were asking before, in addition, he and his wife, Eunice Lovey Wentworth oh! Howell, Eunice. Oh, Eunice. <laughs> they are so rich that they took hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and several changes of clothing for what was intended to be a three-hour tour <laughs> while on a Hawaiian vacation. <laughs> now, Craig, I made a little note uh, in my stuff, uh, in my words here, to ask you ab about this reference you made to Natalie Schaefer in Hawaii because... I don't know what you're referring to. Oh, a free vacation. Oh, Natalie Schaefer was actually very wealthy on her own. She and her ex-husband invested heavily in real estate in California, other places. 
So she had a lot of money. Her agent wanted her to go and audition and do this pilot. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't want this. Sounds stupid. I don't want to do this. You know, I'd rather do stage. And he says, well, free trip to Hawaii. So apparently she was a bit of a miser. So she's like, oh, free trip to Hawaii. I'll okay. So she does it for the vacation thinking there's no way this stupid show is ever going to get any traction. And of course. <laughs> when, yeah, she cried. She, she cried when it got picked up. She's like, no. <laughs> yes, but it got picked up. And I was going to mention this earlier. Um, as a kid, we... I, my family had a black and white TV until, I don't know, early 70s. So I always thought they were actually filming in a jungle somewhere. Uh, just because it looked like it could really be out, outdoors on an island somewhere. Right. And then, of course, as a grown-up, I'm like, no, that's totally a studio set. Right. But anyway, sound stages looked uh, real on black and white to uh, yes. my, uh, my little kid eyes. But um, anyway... <laughs> So Thurston is portrayed, of course, by veteran character actor Jim Backus, who is known for portraying characters with an upper crust New England-like persona. Prior to Gilligan's Island, Backus appeared on NBC's I Married Joan from 1952 oh. to 55. Here he played um, a mild-mannered community judge, the Honorable Bradley Stevens, husband to the manic scatterbrain Joan of the series title played by Joan Davis. And from 1960 to 61, he starred in the syndicated Jim Becca show, AKA hot off the wire, where he portrayed the role of Michael tool editor and proprietor of a low rent wire service. Another of, of his famous TV roles was that of Jay Quincy Magoo, or simply Mr. Magoo, Mr. Magoo. Where, right? where he provided the voice of Mr. Magoo in UPA's animated show of the same name. Magoo, of course, because he's voiced by Bacchus, is an elderly, wealthy, short-statured retiree who gets into a series of comical situations due to his extreme nearsightedness. <laughs> I wanted to ask you too. I, I only have vague mem a vague memory of Mr. Magoo. I, I particularly remember the the opening theme, which we just heard, but I don't remember a whole lot about the show. Do you? I, do I you remember too? the Christmas Carol, Mr. Magoo Christmas oh, yes, Carol, yes, yes. and I, I remember liking Mr. Magoo an awful lot. I remember thinking it was very funny. <laughs> I, well, was, I was pretty was young when I'd watch it, but I used to right. watch it quite a bit. And um, uh -huh. just, you know, the fact that he was blind as a bat got him into all sorts of mischief. <laughs> that was hilarious to us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Until yeah, I became yeah, blind as a bat myself. Oh, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so prior, prior to his fame on TV, Bacchus had a career in radio appearing on the Jack Benny program and the Alan Young show. He also appeared in films such as Pat and Mike with Tracy and Hepburn. Don't Bother to Knock with Marilyn Monroe. And he played James Dean's dad in Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Do you guys remember? Yeah, yeah I do. I oh. remember that one, yeah. Um, and I almost think, you guys, someday we need to do an episode on this next one. Um, uh, in the all-star comedy film of the 60s, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World... Oh. Wouldn't that be an awesome episode? Yes, I would. Yes. He plays a rich drunk by the name of Tyler Fitzgerald, who flies Mickey Rooney's and Buddy Hackett's characters to Santa Rosita, yes. California, oh. in his fancy private plane. But he passes out en route, so Rooney and Hackett have to land it. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite movie growing up. I love oh, that I movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, too, are you familiar with Santa Rosita? No. That's because it's a completely fictional town oh. invented for the movie. <laughs> it sounds I, like a real town in I, California. I know S Santa Rosa is a real right, one. Exactly, yeah, but so, yeah. Santa Rosita. Um, okay, so then in 1964, he became Thurston Howell III, 
for Gilligan's Island. And by the way, besides, and Craig, I don't think you mentioned this before, but besides the Skipper and Gilligan, the Howells are the only other characters to make it into the actual series. So the two, yeah, you did. The two secretaries and the high school science teacher got rewritten. Right. For the, yeah, for the, for the main series. And, um, Honestly, I don't have a lot to share about um, about Natalie Schaefer. Uh, she began her career on Broadway before relocating to Los Angeles in 1941. Oh. Uh, like Bacchus, most of Schaefer's movie roles had her playing sophisticates. Okay. So it's always kind of interesting how, you know, character actors and actresses kind of get pigeonholed into mm. that that one type of character that they play. Yes. Um and uh, by the way, Schaefer was actually 13 years older than Jim Backus, but she kept her age a secret. So yes. nobody really knew, like, for real how old she was. It wasn't until her death in 1991 at the age of 90 that it was discovered her birth year was 1900. And I think Jim oh. Backus was, like, 1913 or 1914, something like that. Oh, Craig, it's wow. earlier than you thought. Yeah. What? No, she was oh, born nineteen hundred. Oh, I thought you yeah. told me something else. Okay. Yeah, she yeah. died at ninety years old. Uh, in uh, the documentary that we were watching, uh, I forget who it was, but one of the actors was saying, "Oh, she was like eighty years old when she did Gilligan's Island." Like eighty? What? More like no. sixty-five. She was. She right, was in her sixties, right. but she aged really well. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, Craig, you already mentioned, but uh, in, in real life, she was really a multimillionaire due to oh. investments in real estate. Yep. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So that's all about the howls. Well, I, I've got this to offer, Dave. Uh, according to <laughs> Mental Floss, the quick 15 Forbes fictional 15. Oh, yes. I saw a reference. Mr. Howl comes in at number eight. And uh, so let, let me just go through the top eight. Uncle Sam is number one. Of course, he can <laughs> print his own money. That's why. Yeah. Scrooge McDuck with an estimated oh, worth wow. of $29.1 billion. So Scrooge wow. comes in second. Richie Rich comes in number three with an estimated net worth of $12.3 billion. Gordon Gecko, <laughs> $8.5 billion. Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> what? $8.4 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Ebenezer Scrooge. Eight billion. Tony Stark, seven point nine billion, and then number eight, Thurston Howe the third nudges out Bruce Wayne at six point oh. five billion dollars. Wow. Bruce Wayne comes in at five point eight. Cool. And Craig, the the article I saw with that listing um, also mentioned some of his assets. Does that? list you have no it, it doesn't those? have that oh, okay yeah because he had like a diamond mine and oil rigs and <laughs> he owned denver colorado or the downtown area of denver something like that but anyway. yeah oh uh, of notable worth on this list also jed clampett comes in 3.6 billion and mr <laughs> monopoly 800 million he comes in at the bottom number 15 so mr monopoly wow. now how come they could mm -hmm. not get off the island with all that professor know-how you know mr that's, professor that's a really good question yes please help us well i will what was his name so, by the way the professor played by russell david johnson actually uh his name is Roy Hinckley was the professor Hinkley. Gilligan's okay. Island. Professor Roy Hinckley. Uh, he was also known as Marshall Gibbs Scott in Black Saddle. Of course, that's Russell David Johnson. Uh, he was born in Ashley, Pennsylvania, which is interesting. Not the professor, but the actor. Uh, Johnson is the oldest of seven siblings, and uh, he had quite a career as a teenager. He attended Girard College, a private boarding school for fatherless boys, which is kind of interesting. He got into the military after graduating high school. He enlisted in the U.S. Army Air Force as an aviation cadet. He became a pilot, second lieutenant, and he flew 44 combat missions in the Pacific Theater during World War II as a bomber or a bombardier, rather, in uh, B-25. 
On March 4th, 1945, while flying as navigator on a B-25 with the 100th Bombardment Squadron of the 42nd Bombardment Group, as you all know very well, (laughs) 13th Air Force, Force, of course, uh, his B-25 and two others were shot down during low-level bombing and strafing uh, run against Japanese military targets in the Philippine Islands. The B-25 encountered heavy aircraft fire and they all three had to ditch at sea. Johnson broke both ankles in the landing, and his bombardier's co-pilot was killed. He received a Purple Heart for his injuries. He was also awarded the Air Medal, the Asiatic Pacific Campaign Medal, and three campaign stars, and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff. So anyway, he was discharged as a first lieutenant in 1945, and then he joined the Air Force Reserves afterward. So anyway, on to the character that he plays, the professor. Now, the professor has a very interesting backstory. It identifies him as Roy Hinckley, although his name is rarely used. Uh, He was a high school science teacher at first in Cleveland, Ohio. His principal expertise was as a botanist whose purpose was joining the, I'm sorry, whose purpose in joining the ill-fated voyage, I can't say ill-fated all of a sudden, Uh, that stranded the cassaways was to write a book to be titled Fun with Ferns. So that's why he was in the desert (laughs) island. That reminds me of Fun with Flags, Sheldon (laughs) Cooper. He he was in the islands working on his book, Fun with Ferns. Wow. Uh, his main function on the show was to, vi- to devise many ways for the castaways to live a more comfortable life on the island. Okay. Many of his inventions, including a method for recharging the batteries of the ubiquitous radio, used coconuts and bamboo, both of which were plentiful on the island. Aside from his proficiency in science, he was also <laughs> adept and well-versed in law, literature, social sciences, and the arts. Besides a list of degrees from various schools, including USC, UCLA, SMU, and TCU, he provides in one episode, little was, uh, little was ever learned about his past and nothing was ever learned about his family. In several episodes, brief remarks are made of his past. In the pilot, he's described as a research scientist and a well-known scoutmaster. So there you go. He's a scoutmaster. In another episode, when a big name, a big game hunter, boy, am I having a problem talking today, uh, comes to the island and ask the professor what sports he took. His answers are chess. And then after kissing Ginger for a prolonged period of time and filming of a silent movie, he claims that he was able to hold his breath during kissing because he used to be a scuba diver. Also, the episode with the real Mr. Hal. Will the real Mr. Hal please stand up? The professor states that he does hold a master's degree in psychology as well. He gets around. (laughs) The professor was portrayed as the most neutral and level-headed character. He's usually displayed, he usually displayed more patience with Gilligan than the other castaways, and he was often called upon to settle disputes. He was also cast to be completely asexual, and in one episode he said he thinks neither of sex nor, uh, what was it, gender, I think it was, or something like that. So, Romance. Um, romance, that's mm. what it was. And uh, yeah, so he's uh, apparently so dedicated to his science, and yet he he argues so fiercely that Marianne is the most beautiful girl in the world. So yeah, that hmm. that was my favorite episode where they did the beauty pageant, yeah. and Skipper was all for Ginger, Professor was in for Marianne, of course, Thurston's for his wife Lovey, and then Gilligan was the deciding vote in this beauty pageant. Yeah. That was my favorite right. episode. I loved it. Yeah, so both the actor who plays a professor, Russell David Johnson, and the professor himself, Roy Hinckley, are both fascinating characters, if you ask me. I think mm-hmm. they both yeah. have... Uh, and by the way, Craig, the uh, the trivia you unearth when you're researching a, a show like the Mid-Modcast, the aforementioned radio, whose batteries he often had to recharge was actually a Packard Bell AR-851 AM radio. I knew that. No, I you didn't. did know that. No, I no. didn't know okay. that. I'm just making um, that And <laughs> I also read that the handle on top of the radio was added by the props department, as was the antenna. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Hmm, I wonder if you can find one of those on eBay. It, that, it, w- it will probably cost you $2,500, but you probably could. Yeah, something like that would be worth having in the Royal Ohana room. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. One, on of, one of the great things about Gilligan's Island is it's the most tiki of all sitcoms. It is. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Coconuts and 
Yes, of course. That would be your favorite. But we also have a couple women that I wanted to talk about. Yes. You need us. You need us. Like a clan needs a shell. Like a prisoner needs a cell. Like a ding dong needs a bell. Tina Louise played Ginger Grant. Originally, um, they really wanted Jane Mansfield to play it. Can you imagine Jane Mansfield playing it? But she turned it down. And Mm. one of the reasons I kind of figured out why Tina Louise wasn't super thrilled with the whole Gilligan thing, because she was actually a pretty serious stage actress. She won a Golden Globe Award for New Star of the Year for her breakthrough role in um, God's Little Acre, which is a 1958 drama. So she was an up-and-coming starlet. Um, she, that year, the National Art Council named her the world's most beautiful redhead. Imagine that. And she was she became this leading lady for stars like Richard Taylor. I'm sorry, Robert Taylor and Richard Widmark. And she was also often playing these very somber roles. She was in a, quite a few Italian cinema and played on Broadway as well. She studied with Lee Strasberg. And she was a member of the actor studio, which also De was surprising, right? And when the series in, in, ended in 1967, she was unable to resume her career as this upcoming major film star, since these roles were no longer being offered to her like they were before she started this sitcom. Was in this sitcom, and although she continued to work in film and made a bunch of guest appearances on TV, she really claimed repeatedly that um, playing Ginger ruined her movie career. But she did appear in one of my. Favorite, uh, our favorite spy wannabe movies. Uh, She was in The Wrecking Crew, Matt Helm. Yes, Matt Helm. Yes, with Dean Martin. And she was, and that's also, uh, Sharon Tate was in that one, if I'm not mistaken, because we saw that movie with Brad Pitt where they were, um, where they had the- Was it The Wrecking Crew? It was The Wrecking Crew. one of the Matt Helm movies. I can't remember which one. Sharon Tate was in Hollywood. Oh yeah. yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They showed they show yeah, it's a good movie. They showed little (laughs) scenes of the wrecking crew. And she was also in the Stepford Wives in 1975. That movie kind of scared me. Scared me when I was a little kid. That was a trip. Creepy. Yeah, so she is the the You better behave her. I'm gonna turn you into a robot. Yeah, so (laughs) Ginger Grant was not played by Tina Louise in any of those return shows. She pretty much distanced herself. From this show, but who uh, embraced it? Bob Denver and, of course, the wonderful, beautiful Don Wells as Marianne. And I actually find it interesting. I just read her book in in December, and it's called What Would Marianne Do? And it's sort of like a book that you would, I actually listened to the Audible, and it was something you'd like listen to your grandma giving you advice. So what would Marianne do? And what is the, oops. What is the allure of Marianne? There's just so many wonderful allures of Marianne. Um, well, for one, she's beautiful. She's beautiful, right? <laughs> so that's she hard to, is. That's hard to ignore. And uh, uh oh, do you lose your place? <laughs> Welcome to my world. Welcome to oh, my world. Oh my goodness Won't gracious! Yeah, I went all out of order, but she just passed away in December. Um, at the age of 82, and as as my husband said it, from uh, COVID related problems um and besides now tina louise is just the the very last surviving member it used to be both of them and like somebody already mentioned there were in the original pilot there were two secretaries ginger and bunny and a high school teacher but it didn't score well with those testing audiences so they had to recast ginger marianne and the professor and they cast don wells and she was actually a former miss nevada and before she was Marianne, she had uh, she was five little five foot four fireballs. She had a string of these small roles on TV shows like Bonanza, Wagon Train, Maverick, Seventy Seven Sunset Strip. And then after Gilligan's Island was canceled, she was on The Wild Wild West, Alf, and a bunch of other series. There's even a great little episode of her and Bob Denver, and I believe uh, the professor on uh, the TV show Roseanne. 
where they act out different characters in right. Roseanne. Very great. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, it, and just in August of 2018, um, Wells took a fall and she re she revealed that she was really having difficulty paying bills for the two months of her hospitalization rehabilitation that she needed. And, um, that she was absolutely flabbergasted, but a bunch of people pulled together and they created a GoFundMe page for her and they raised 197,000 for wow. her rehabilitation. Beautiful wow. story. Yeah. And, and her quote is, I am amazed at the kindness and affection I have received. She told this to Fox news. I don't know how this happened. I thought I was taking the proper steps to ensure my golden years. Now here I am, no family, no husband, no kids and no money. So, like you said, they just didn't get those res residuals, and they should have made a mint of, of all those refunds, uh, all those um, reruns. Um, but yeah, that they raised the money for her, and she did write books. She wrote a cookbook, a Marianne cookbook. Oh, right. And as I said, um, whatever, uh, what would Marianne do is wonderful. If you have a chance, I, I definitely recommend that. It's a little quick read, fun book. And as we said, Marianne or Ginger. What's the allure of Marianne? Hmm? And this is what she wrote in her book, What Would Marianne Do? Actually, she didn't write this. Um, Russell Johnson, the man who played the professor, wrote this. We love Marianne because she is the future, the hope of our world. The youngest of the castaways, Marianne has her entire life in front of her, he wrote. Watching her unfailing good cheer, her optimism is never in question. We love her because we need her emotional support and her belief that all will turn out well. We love Marianne because of Don Wells. Every character in that show, when you think about it, they had a role to fill. There was the captain, there's the mate, there's the wealthy man, there's the movie star, except Marianne. She was just given a name and a location. Her character was actually very different than the other ones. She was actually molded by Don Wells. Don Wells came up with the backstory, her character, her personality. She was not a Hollywood creation. She was Don Wells. And she said of the values and principles of Marianne mirrored her own and are timeless. This is why Dave likes her. I know that <laughs> this is her quote. I know this because the core of Marianne is really me. I mean, I built her from scratch. If you play a character long enough on stage or on screen, I think your true self shows through. Yeah. That was really a sweet quote. And then she also added during a 2008 interview with um, the Television Academy of Foundation there hasn't been a Marianne on the air for I don't know how long. There hasn't been a really good girl over the age of 15. And Marianne was very much that, Well says. And the Marianne Ginger issue is always there. You had to be a real man to understand Ginger. And Marianne, she would have gone to the prom with you and been your best friend. A lot of guys would come up to me and say, I married a Marianne. She had values. Uh, and actually in 2004, um, uh, 2005, the number 50 on the, uh, she was number 50 on TV guides, the sexiest stars of all time. Oh, wow. So that good girl with the good value, she was also one of the sexiest stars of all time. You know if Tina Louise was on that list? I, I don't think so. Uh. I don't think so. And then um, the, that same year, 2005, is when she auctioned off the shorts and the green and white checkered blouse <laughs> she wore on Gilligan's Island for $20,700. Wow. And she was also very charitable, just a wonderful person. In the 2000s, she created something called Wishing Wells Collection, Wells, which made clothes for elderly people with limited mobility. She was also very active in the Denver Foundation by, created by Bob Denver, and it's a charitable organization founded by her fellow castaway before his death in 2005. So just a, a peach of a woman and uh, as a person. And I, I'm, I'm just thrilled that people helped and took care of our Marianne as, as an elderly person. I think that is a beautiful story. So we will definitely, you know, raise a glass and uh, remember our, our beloved Don Wells, Marianne. In 2020. Just a little fun fact before she got COVID. Uh, I did reach, I did reach out to her to see if we could get her on the mid podcast. <laughs> Never heard back. Uh, yeah. I reached wow. out to a lot of people. 
Yeah. Never heard back. I know. We're just, yeah. One day though, someday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the tiki events, I think it was the Hukilau in the early two thousands. Uh, they, they were able to get her to make an appearance at, at the Hukilau. Oh, yeah. How wonderful. Yeah, because right. like Craig said earlier, Gilligan's Island is one of the most tiki shows out there yeah <laughs> uh, bless her she 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 said that she would read all of her facebook comments and she nice. she participated fully in her life and her in her character um paul i can't remember when you were talking about her character did you mention her last name As, oh yeah no, i didn't it was summers marianne summers yes okay mm-hmm. okay i think i remember that yes from kansas yeah kansas from, from Kansas, a farm, Kansas. from a farm in Kansas. Yes. <laughs> Little known fact: uh, Ginger Grant, uh, uh, Tina Louise. Anyone know how tall she was in real life? You told me, but I forgot. Pretty tall. She's a tall girl, six feet tall. Oh my goodness gracious! Yes. Wow. She's tall. Skipper uh, Alan Hale Jr. was six foot two, so he he actually was hmm. taller. But uh, when Ginger would wear heels. She was often the tallest person on the set. So of course. Little known. Hey, Dave, speaking of desert islands, if you were on a desert island, <laughs> what sorts of uh, things would you have with you? What's your desert island list of uh, books, music, movies? Well, you know, if I were on a three-hour tour yes. in 1964. Aside from um, footlockers full of cash, <laughs> what would you take? Right. <laughs> uh, well, I would want to bring great, great material from that era. So um, I went with a film, an LP, and a book. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So for my film, I chose the James Bond movie Thunderball from 1965. Because, you know, if you're going to be on a tropical island, it was, you know, a lot of the scenes in the movie took place uh, in the Bahamas, I believe. So, um yeah, that would that would be fun to you know sit out around the huts and watch a cool Bond movie. Uh, for my LP, I chose the 1964 Verve release "Get Gilberto." Ooh, that's a hard a title one. to say. Yeah, so that is uh, saxophonist Stan Getz, guitarist Joao Gilberto. I think he went by Tom, if I'm not mistaken. In, uh, that's the English next speaking. I'm about to say. Antonio yeah. Carlos Jobim or oh, Tom Jobim. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Jobim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, piano on that record. And then songs were composed by Jobim and Gilberto. And it's also the LP where Estrude Gilberto makes her singing premiere. Yeah. The girl from Ipanema. And then for number three, I'm assuming that good old Jonas would have had a copy of the Bible on board the minnow. Uh, I, I would think, right? I, I would, so I would the imagine. Additional, yeah. So the additional book that I uh, opted to bring along is uh, Exupéry's Le Petit Prince or The Little Prince from 1943. Very French. Nice. <laughs> One nice. of my favorite books of all time. So got to have a copy with me. Okay. What about you two, Paulo? What, what's your... Desert Isle list look oh, like. I, I imagine myself listening to Harry Belafonte oh, on the nice. Desert uh, Island. Yeah, you know, I really, uh, nice. that's something that would go with the whole feel of it. I, I think that would be really well, wonderful. Well, if you've got rum and coconuts, then you rum can, and coco- yeah. you could oh, have all sorts of wonderful rum and drinks. Coconuts. <laughs> yes, right. Um, and not to sound cliche, but these go back to previous mid-modcast episodes, but I would love to have, I love West Side Story. And Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window would be some movies I would really love. Um, And I would probably bring the Beethoven Symphonies uh, complete works because it's something that could keep your mind occupied. You could analyze it. You can go, oh, this is the recapitulation. This is a modulation. And I could just absolutely analyze it to death and know them very, very well because, you know, you need something to do. Yeah, you're stuck on an island. Right, right. Well, I, I'm going to go with my book would be uh, Ayn Rand's the, uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, simply it because so it would take <laughs> me three years to get through it. So yes, yeah. there's, there's that. Hopefully I, before the show gets canceled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three years, huh? <laughs> uh, music, not very tropical, but Dave Brubeck, time out, uh, just because yeah, I man. love Dave so much. Movies, I would go with Our Man Flint 
if, if we're going with the age, and uh, also I'd, I'd like a double DVD on this with In Like Flint, so 65 and 67. And of course, since I'm on an island, I have to have Paradise Hawaiian Style with Elvis. Oh, 1965 yeah. also. Very so good. That, that's just off the top of my head. You know, I, I hate being... Uh, oh, what's your desert island? Is like, oh gosh, I, you know, where where do you go with that? Uh, Those are good answers, though. Of, so don't. Of course, yeah. of course, being a pastor, I got to have a Bible with me. Too, yes, so right. There's that. Yes. <laughs> so perhaps our listeners could go on the Facebook page and <laughs> pretend that you are on a mid '60s three-hour tour around the Hawaiian Islands. Uh. What would you bring? What three, uh, we'll go with three. What, what would your three Desert Isle, you know, book, movies, uh, movie, uh, LP, whatever, uh, to pass the time while we're stranded for three years until we get canceled? So <laughs> share it with us on our Facebook page. Dave, yes. be, before we call it quits, I'm going to ask you this question. What tropical cocktail would you be sipping on with Mr. and Mrs. Howell? That's what I was going to ask you. They did have an know. awful lot of umbrella. They they had a lot of umbrella drinks. I got to I got to admit. Yeah, did did limes grow on the island? Did we ever see them? In with limes? in our island they do. Yes. Okay. Yes, they we're do. Say so yes. I I think I'd have to go with a mai tai. Well, okay. Very that's, good. I think that's a great one. <laughs> I would go with a painkiller. Nice. Well, stay tuned friends on the island definitely. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Same time, same channel next time on Stay swell. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb. The first mate and his skipper, too, will do their very best to make the others comfortable in the tropic island nest. No phone, no light, no motor cars, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's primitive as can be. So join us here each week, my friends, you're sure to get a smile. From seven stranded castaways, here on Gilligan's Island.